John 15, 1 to 17. And it's the vine and the branches. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, and I remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. And this is God's word, amen. Well, it's a joy to be here today. My name's Neil. And uh, yeah, it's good to be able to open up this part of God's word. Uh, if you've got your Bibles there, then turn back to page 1083. And to John 15, we're going to work through these verses together this morning. Uh, before we get to that, I went to B&Q yesterday. And I bought this. It's a beautiful tomato plant, I think. If you're going to look at that, there's sort of a vine and some branches. Uh, are you with me? Okay, there's a vine and there's some branches. Because tomatoes, as I understand, grow on the vine. And so we have this central part and some branches coming off. And if I look after this, then in time, hopefully, I'll get delicious tomatoes like the one on the label, or the ones on the label here. That, that's what I would like to happen with this. But if I do this, how many tomatoes am I going to get on this branch? None. I've just killed this. This is now a dead branch. It will bear no fruit because it hasn't remained attached to the vine. Now, some of you are better at gardening than I am. Uh, at my first flat in Redland when I was married to my first wife, Elaine, I decided one day I was going to surprise her by doing some gardening. 
And I, I, I looked at the hedge, and I thought, the hedge looks a bit of a mess. Now, in my defense, it was a complex hedge. It was made out of different, it wasn't like one of those hedges, just one type of bush. This was many different things. And I thought what it needed was some shaping. Now, I don't mean at this point I was going to try and create peacocks or anything elaborate. In my head, I think what I had was a sort of image of an oblong, you know, kind of neat, tidy hedge that was like up one side, across and down. That was all I was aiming at. Let, let me say, when Elaine got home, the surprise she had wasn't quite the one I intended. The first words out of her mouth were, what have you done to my hedge? I, I didn't think at this point it was the point for semantics. My hedge? This is our hedge. No, I didn't go down that route. As I took a step back from the hedge, which I was buried in, she said, there's a hole in it. And actually, that was one way to look at it. The other way to look at it was we now had two hedges with a gap in the middle. And it may be you're here this morning, and you are much more expert in gardening than I am or was. Uh, that, that introduced a new set of rules, which was I was never allowed to do gardening again unless closely supervised. And you might look at this and think, Neil, that's actually not a tomato plant. I mean, it might say tomato on the outside, but because you're so inexpert, being cured actually just sold you something completely different. I think that's actually a chili plant. Now, how are we going to find out who's right? How will we eventually know whether I'm right and I think it's a tomato plant, or you're right and you think it's a chili plant? How will we eventually know? When it grows, and when we see what it grows. If it grows tomatoes, then this is a tomato plant. If it grows chilies, then it's a chili plant. Eventually, it's the fruit, isn't it? that shows what type of plant it really is. I'm not the first person to tell this story, am I? About 2,000 years ago, someone much greater than me, much cleverer than me, much kinder than me, much more loving than me, told this very same story, not about a tomato plant, but about a vine. He had been with his disciples in the upper room. It was the night before he was going to go to the cross. He had already washed their feet. He had already told them that one of them was going to betray him. And at that point, although they didn't know who it was, Judas had left the room and gone out into the night. He had then surprised them again by saying he was going to be lifted up. And one of them, his best friend of all, Peter, was going to say, I don't even know you. And they were in a state of shock. And there was fear written all over their faces. And into that, Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. He told them he was the way, the truth, and the life. He told them the Holy Spirit was coming. And this Spirit would dwell in their hearts by faith, that he would come and make his very home within them. And then the last verse we were um, shown last week simply said this, now let us leave. And commentators debate that as they were on their way through the streets of Jerusalem at night, Maybe they went past a vine. Maybe they went through one of the gates, and above the gates, we know there were vines embossed in gold because the vine was the symbol of Israel. In England, we have the rose. Those of you here who are Scottish, you got your thistle. The Welsh among you have your daffodil. And if you were Jewish, you had the vine, the picture, the plant of the nation, the national symbol. 
used by the Psalms and the prophets to show what Israel was like. A community attached to God Almighty was supposed to be full of life. And yet Jesus had to say to them, that's not how it is. He said instead, I am the true vine, not the nation anymore, but me. I'm the one who fulfills this. And then he told a story in which he was the vine. His father was the gardener or the vine dresser, if you've got a different version here this morning, or the farmer, really, in our way of thinking. I'm the one who's going to look after this vine. And attached to Jesus, you'll have spiritual life, eternal life, but the Father will care for you. He plants, he plants, he prunes, and he produces the fruit. And then we, we belong to Jesus, are the branches. And our job is simply to let his life show in our lives. The fruit is every single way your life shows that you belong to Jesus. That's the fruit. Every single way. It's not just the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. It's just not just those we bring to Christ and we see saved. It's every single way that your life shows that you belong to Jesus. So we're just going to have a very simple talk today. And it's on this, are you growing like Jesus? And um, the two things here, are you living the life Jesus wants you to live? Firstly, are you growing like him? Should have a slide with that one. There we are. And are you loving like Christ? Are you growing like Jesus? Um, or an, an, yeah, and are you loving like him? Those are the things we need to think about today. So firstly, are you growing like Jesus? I don't know if I changed the words. I did. I meant to put Jesus all the way through. Mainly because Christ is his title that means king, and Jesus is his earthly name. And I think today we're thinking about him in part, and his humanity. So you're growing like Jesus, connected to him. So Jesus says in the first verse there, I am the vine. And then verse five, he repeats, he says, I am the vine. It's the last of these I am sayings. And then he says who we are. He says, you are the branches. And the first thing, if we're going to be branches on the vine that we need to be is connected to him. Jesus says to the men in the room, the 11 that remain, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. And John's gospel is all about us being connected to the God who loved us so much. He sent Jesus into this world to rescue us and bring us in to a relationship with the living God. In the vine, there is real life. John's gospel has these words in it. I think I've got a slide with them on, which is at the heart of what this gospel is all about. Just put that one up. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Connection comes when we know who he is, when we see that he is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, the King, and that by believing, we can have life. We can be connected to that vine. It's an act of actually knowing him through his word. The original disciples were cleansed by the word of Jesus. And today it's the word of God brought by the spirit of God that makes us clean and attaches us to that vine. Jesus said we must be born again. And when we're born again, we're attached to him forever. We become his. For everyone, there's a starting moment. There's a beginning. 
There's a time when we take that step where we weren't attached to the vine, where we didn't belong to him. When we, we were like this, we were dead. And often we didn't even know it. We felt like we were alive, but we were not connected to the vine, and therefore we were dead. Have you been connected to the true vine? Do you belong to God through Jesus Christ? Have you had your sin forgiven at the cross? Have you experienced resurrection power flowing through your veins because the Spirit of God dwells in you? That's the first thing here. We've got to be connected, but we've also got to continue. The key word here that's used again and again and again is remain. Did you notice that? I think it's used 11 times. Look at verse 4. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit in itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Here's the thing. We all need to start somewhere. We all need to be connected to the vine. But the test of whether we're really connected or not is not how we start, but how we finish. That's really important for us to grasp that. You know, there are people we probably all know who seem to be starting well, but they just drift away. And it's one of the saddest things. The longer you're a Christian, the more people you will know like that. People who were one time passionate, who now might deny they know Christ at all. When I first went to university, I came here when I was 18. One of the first people I met was a guy called Adrian. He was the, the kind of in-college leader of the Christian Union. And I really got on well with Adrian. And I, he really helped me. I was a really new Christian. I'd only been a Christian a few months. And he really discipled me and helped me. And then we completely lost touch after university. And one day, completely randomly, I was in St. Albans Park. You may not even know where that is. That's miles and miles away from here, just north of London. And the boys were small, and I was pushing one of them on a swing. I can't remember if it was Isaac or Oscar. And then I looked around next to me, and there was Adrian pushing one of his children in a swing. And I was like, this is the most random thing. Where did, what are you doing? He said, I live here. I said, what are you doing here? I said, my mum and dad live about a half an hour from here. I just came to this park for a change. And we got chatting. And I just said to him, just how are you doing? How are you doing spiritually? And he said to me, Neil, we, we don't really go to church anymore as a family. I go once a year to the Abbey at Christmas. And that's about it. For three years, a man called Judas, he walked with Jesus. He saw the miracles. He heard the teaching. To everyone else, he looked like he was part of the team. But his heart remained unchanged. He wasn't connected to the living vine. And when push came to shove, when he was ultimately tested, he loved money and power more than he loved Jesus. And he was cut off forever. For all eternity, he was cut off from Jesus. 
It's not how you start, brothers and sisters. It's how you continue. We can all have better and worse times in our spiritual walk. I've known them. I mean, times when I've been clinging onto my faith by my fingertips. But I'm still standing. I'm still continuing. And I love Jesus more than I did when I was 17 and he saved me. We have to keep abiding in the word of God. Look what it says here. Don't be like Judas. If you don't remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burnt. But he says this, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. There's an amazing opportunity here, you see, to remain in the word of God, to continue to hear Jesus speaking to us. Luke, so I don't know if you've got the right version of my PowerPoint. If you've got John 5 there, is that, ah, you have, I'm so pleased. I, I kept tweaking this all morning, and every time I changed it, it messes it up for Lucas. So I'm, never, I'm not quite sure now which version he's got. Literally five minutes before the service, I was making changes. Here's one that I made late. This was a warning given to Jesus' enemies, the Jewish leaders. Jesus said to them, you study the scriptures diligently, because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me and have life. That was the warning he gave. I was just thinking, for those of us who know him, for those of us who have begun and we're journeying on and there's ups and downs and sometimes we're more passionate, sometimes we're less passionate, these words become a promise. I've just tweaked them. So they should be, here we go. You study the scriptures diligently because you know, you know, that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me and you delight to come to me and have life. You see, what was a warning for those outside of Christ who hated him, for us is a promise. It is so easy for us to read the Bible and not come to Christ. I can do that so easily myself. I can get through my Bible reading. I read my Bible and I pray every day, but it doesn't mean I come to Christ. Does that make sense? You can do these things religiously. You can do them with an intention of just kind of getting through or feeling you've been virtuous by doing them. Rubbish. They're a gateway. They're a means of grace to know God and then know him more and for Christ to come to us and for us to spend time with him. What a promise. Would that change the way you wake up tomorrow morning, even if just for five minutes you opened his word and you said, I'm just going to read for two minutes and then, Lord, please come to me. Speak to me. I love you. And I long to love you more. So we need to continue. The third thing here, if we're going to grow, is this. And this doesn't sound good at all, so hang on tight. We need to be cut by his father. That's what verse 2 says. We really want to grow. We need to be cut. I don't know about you, but I'm squeamish. Not as squeamish as my older son, Isaac, who can't watch any needles or any blood on television. He literally has to turn away or else he feels ill. I'm not quite that bad, but I'm not far away. I know where he gets it from. His first... My first wife, his mum, was a surgeon and used to do cesarean sections, so she wasn't squeamish at all. Isaac and I, we're not cut from that same cloth. 
uh, we do get squeamish. But this is a picture you see of cutting. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit. There can't, there can't be those who hang around eventually in the end. He knows who belongs to him. To bear no fruit is not to be a Christian. But what? But there is something here for us who are. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so it'll be even more fruitful. Do you see? When you become a Christian, there's a lot of work to do. And the longer you are a Christian, so honestly, you realize how much work there is to do. We keep finding new sin, don't we? And things that are just exciting and more exciting to us than Jesus. And our Father loves us too much to go after those things and waste our lives with them. So he prunes us. He cuts away those things that are sinful that are in our lives. He cuts us off from the idols that would stop us loving him and then loving him more. And even... He cuts off things that are good for the sake of something better. We find that hard to accept. When we lose something that's precious to us and is good, we often don't understand what God's doing. We say, Lord, why did you do that? I like my life the way it was, and it wasn't a bad thing. That was a godly ambition, and lots of people have that. And why shouldn't I have that too? Why have you taken that from me? I don't understand. I don't get it. Maybe think about Job. Do you remember him? God took all of his livelihood and then all of his children. That is severe pruning. Some of you have been heavily pruned in younger age, but I want to say something to those of you here who are older. and You can decide whether that's you or not. I'm not looking at anybody in particular. I'll look at my feet. There we are. You can decide. Older age is a time, I think, of intense pruning. In older age, many of the things that have been precious to us, we simply cannot do anymore. Many of the opportunities we had when we were younger are closed to us. Our health is often failing. Sometimes our minds, sometimes our bodies, sometimes both. It is a tough season. I say this to you, to those of you watching at home, who would love to be here today but can't be. The Lord's not finished with you. What he does is he prunes. And he wants to give all of us the very best. And the very best thing that he has is himself. It's why I object to fruit being limited to those who, have, who become disciples through our ministry. Because the time will come when we perhaps can't reach out to anyone anymore. And it's simply being the fruit of the Spirit. Because when you look at the fruit of the Spirit, they happen in community primarily, not just between you and God. They mostly happen when you're with other people. But here's the thing that even in older age you can keep working on. You can keep working on your relationship with Jesus. You can spend more time with him maybe than you could before. When I visited Jim at Dingle Court, he used to play, pray three times a day, often at length. Because he said to me, I can do nothing else, but I can pray. That's godliness. In a season of extreme pruning, God has not given up on you. If you're going through the worst time of your life right now, and some of you are, it's not because he doesn't love you. It's because he trusts that he can bring forth even more fruit in your life, even into your oldest years to his glory and his praise. 
That's where the pruning finishes, you see in verse 8. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Our God's like a skilled surgeon. He knows just what to chop off to make us more like Jesus. I think I found a picture of a very large diamond, Lucas, about yeah, this morning as well. There we are. That's you. Doesn't look much like you, does it? But that's how God sees you. You see, diamonds are cut, aren't they? That didn't happen naturally. That's been worked on. And did you see in your Bibles the little footnote that says the word for pruned is also the word for cleaned? Diamonds also are polished. They're cut and they're cleaned. And what your heavenly Father is doing for you is this. That's a picture of you in his hands. And when he's finished with you, when he lifts you up from this earth, and he will, or Christ comes again, he will put you on display before the angels and before all those who have gone before us. And from every angle, do you know what people will see? Only Christ. In every facet of you, all they will see reflected is the beauty and the glory and the love and the majesty and the wonder of Christ. Jesus is the vine. His father is the gardener. You are the branches. And brothers and sisters, you are bearing much fruit. But you ain't seen nothing yet. Second thing here. Are we growing like Christ, but also are we loving like Jesus? Are we loving like him? Questions like that always make me feel guilty. Do you know what I mean? When it comes up in the passage, I think, uh-oh, here we go. It's usually after I've had a blazing row at home. Uh, I'm feeling like the most worthless Christian has ever been. And suddenly I'm reading this thinking, no. Can I ask you to do with me? You know when you read that question, you think, are you loving like Jesus? No. Let's just move on, Neil. Let's just set the bar lower. Am I behaving like a vaguely decent human being? Could we just put the bar there? No. Can I ask us to park that thought of no, just over here, pop it there, and let's, let's begin somewhere else. Let's begin over here. Not because this side of the room is better than that side of the room, but just because we had to park it somewhere. All right? Here's where we go wrong. Here's where I go wrong anyway. You might go wrong somewhere else. I forget how loved I am. And so my normal approach is to try to love people out of my own strength, to give it my best shot. But that's not where Jesus began here today. Did you see that? Look at verse 10 with 9 and 10 with me. It says, as the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. You see, Jesus began out of that place of total security in his Father's love. I know some of you had really difficult relationships with your father. I was really fortunate to have a dad who worked really long hours but loved me dearly. 
He was always out from seven to seven every day. But in the summer months, like now, when it was lighter, I was allowed to ride my bike up and down the pavement outside our house with very strict parameters. My mum was always worried about me and me riding off or causing trouble. So I was literally allowed to ride between the width of the house either side of us. It wasn't much. And that was the bit. My mum always said, I've got to be able to keep an eye on you. You can cycle from there to there and back again. So I did. And I was quite happy doing that up and down the pavement. But there was a change in the rules. You see, at about five to seven, coming down the road, I could see my dad walking back from the train station. And when I could see him, I was allowed to cycle my bike to the end of the road and wait for him to cross it. I wasn't trusted to cross the road, but I could cycle up and wait for him to walk down, cross the road, and then I'd cycle back next to my dad. Do you know what? That was one of the best parts of my day. I loved him coming home. I don't think he probably realized how much I loved it. Those of you who are working parents here today, and there's a lot of you, and by that I mean those of you who are employed, every parent works their socks off. Just remember that. When you come home, when you come home after work, and you're feeling exhausted, and whoever's been at home with the children all day is also feeling exhausted. It's a, 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 a combustible bomb of exhaustion. And the children are going wild because it's about an hour and a half to bedtime. And so they're, they're going berserk and everyone's tired. And it's a recipe for lovelessness. Oh, maybe just my house. Everyone's like, not in ours. We've got this one nailed. Well, good for you. Anyway, in our house, it was always a slightly tense time, let's just say. Just remember how pleased your children might be to see you. Just what a moment of opportunity there is. My dad wasn't gushing. He didn't say much. He just crossed the road and we rode back together because I just liked being with him. I loved him being home. It made me feel safe. Jesus operated out of a place of safety, out of a place where he knew he was loved. He enjoyed spending time with his father. That's why there are so many times in the Gospels when it says Jesus retired to a quiet place and he prayed. He delighted just to spend time with his dad in fellowship with him, talking with him, working things through with him. That's how Jesus was. And you brothers and sisters here are loved by your father in heaven. Why did Jesus come? Here's an answer, so that you might know his Father in heaven as your Father in heaven. And you're not only loved by the Father, you're also loved by the Son. There's loads here we could talk about. But look at how he says he loves you. He says, if you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love one another as I have loved you. And then he calls us in verse 14, his friends, friends of Jesus Christ. And then he says this, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for one's friends. This was the day before he went to the cross. And he said, greater love has no one than to lay down his life for his friends. 
He said to the eleven, you're my friends. And the following day, he went to the cross for them. All for love. All for love. And then he says in verse 16, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. He chose the eleven. He sets his love on us. And he appoints us so that we might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last for all eternity. And so we can come in to a loving relationship with his father. We are dearly loved people. And when we remember the love of the father and the love of the son, it changes the way that we love others. Here's how it is, and here's where we finish today. We can resolve to love others as he did. Two ways, in submission and through sacrifice. Jesus Bow to his father's will. You'll see that if you look back at the start of the passage. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in his love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I've kept my father's commands and remain in his love. You see, this loving fatherly relationship meant that Jesus submitted to his father's will every day perfectly. I was not the perfect child. You'd be unsurprised to hear There were times when I needed telling off. I remember one time when I accidentally stood, I was not being very careful, on a track I had and it snapped in half. And I still remember going to my mum and saying, Mum, please could you smack me because you smack me less hard than Dad does. You know, I wasn't always the best of boys. The only time I saw my dad cry when I was a child, only happened once, you see me cry every week. Uh, But... um, The only time I heard my dad cry, or saw my dad cry, was after he found an empty bottle of vodka in my wardrobe. And he realized what I was doing as a teenager behind his back. And it broke his heart that I would give my life away to vodka. And I remember him sitting me down and he prayed with me and tears were running down his face. I remember him reading out a psalm that said, blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven. Blessed is the man whose transgressions the Lord does not hold against him. We weren't a particularly religious family. It's the only time I remember my dad praying in this way with me. And it was a huge step towards me becoming a Christian. Because in that moment, I realized something really important. When we break God's law, we don't just break his rules, we break his heart. We don't just break his rules. We break his heart. I didn't become a Christian that day, but I took a big step into another world. Is that you here this morning? You're living carelessly. You're living like God doesn't care about your sin, that he'll let you have your idols, that he'll let you have all of your money, that he'll let you be greedy, that he'll let you be selfish, that he'll let you be focused on things other than him, that will let you give your heart to something that controls you and he won't care. No. He loves you way too much for that. He loves you. And he wants you to submit. He wants you to submit to his will for your life because his way is best for you just as it is for me. We submit to him. 
And when we do, we find actually it's not joyless, but it's a delight. I've told you this, Jesus said to you, my joy may be in you. The joy of obedience, the joy of knowing that we're pleasing God. I think I hated getting told off as a child, not just because I didn't like being in trouble, which I didn't, but because I knew I disappointed my dad and his approval mattered to me. How much more should our heavenly father's approval matter to us? And then Jesus says this, my command is this, love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. Real love is more than a feeling. Real love is to sacrifice ourselves for the good of another as Christ has loved us. That should be the way in our families, in our church family. Jesus said, if we love one another, then the world will come in and know that we are his disciples. It's a love that extends out into this broken world where there's much going on, as Lindsay's brought to our attention this morning, that maybe is hidden from many of us, but is going on out there. And Jesus says, go out there and share my love. Even when you find enemies, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Sacrifice yourself as Jesus did for the good of others. In the room that day was a young man, John, who wrote this gospel. This made a massive impression on him when Jesus finished and said, love one another. John, as he got older, was quite disabled. He was the pastor of the church in Ephesus. He was elderly. And actually, in the end, he couldn't walk. And so they used to carry him in on a mat and plonk him. I don't know if you'll have to do that to me one day. Maybe things will get like that here. Who knows? And when he did, he couldn't preach long. Not like I have here this morning. He preached short. And he preached five words. And I'm going to leave them with you because they're a watchword for us all. Little children, love one another. If you resolve to do nothing else, little children, love one another. It's Jesus' command. It's a command that shows his light to this world. He is the vine. You are the branches. Continue in him and show his love to those around you. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful passage of scripture. So much for us here. So much to challenge, so much to comfort. Lord, teach us how much you love us. Help us to see the wonder of the cross. Help us to want to know you and then know you more, to continue that journey that for some of us began decades ago. Lord, if we've lost our way, thank you that you still love us. Nothing we do can make you love us anymore. Nothing you do can make you love us any, nothing we do can make you love us any less. You love us. And so I pray for any here who know they're straying, Lord, bring them back to that narrow path. Help them to want to continue with you. Lord, for any here today who don't know you, who come regularly but don't know you, Father, I pray 
be at work. Draw them to yourself this morning. Don't let pride or fear get in the way. But help them to know you, to know that forgiveness that comes through the cross, the grace, the mercy, the power to change. All comes from him. And so, Lord, we pray you take our lives and use them. Use them to bear much fruit. May our lives show Christ to this world, we pray. Amen. This is my favorite church, bar none. You're my family. I'm grateful for the break. I am. But I will really miss you. I'll miss these gatherings. I'll miss the conversations. I'll miss the friendships. I'll miss the opportunities in this community to talk about Jesus every single week and to see people asking questions about him because he is so great. I know how I want you to pray for me. Lucas, could you put the last slide up? Just that. Could you pray that I will continue in Christ? I almost don't want you to pray number two, but you need to. There is sin in my heart. There are idols that I still love. There are areas where I know I can be more fruitful. And painful as it will be, I pray that the Father will cut me deeply over the next nine, ten weeks and beyond so that more of the life of Jesus would be seen in me. Can you pray I'd remember when that happens, how loved I am? because I'm inclined to forget. And can you pray that I'd resolve to love as Jesus has loved me in submission to his word and through sacrifice towards others. That's how I want to live. So if you have a moment to pray for me over the next nine or ten weeks, then do that and you're going to be absolutely fine. And you know how I know? You've got four great under-shepherds here. You've got Pete. Keeps an eye on me. Loves me. If we have difficult times, Pete's often one of the first people to ring me and check I'm okay. You've got Dan. Dan's a great man. He's been my pastor for a long time. Ever since they moved when Elaine was sick onto our street, he's kept an eye on me. Even this week, he stayed on Zoom after the church prayer meeting and was checking in on my family ahead of the sabbatical. What can they do to help? That's a pastor's heart. You've got Andrew now on board with a great gift of encouragement, with wisdom, with discernment. And you got him. <laughs> My best friend in ministry. Let me pray for you. Father God, we thank you 
so much for church family. Brothers and sisters united in Christ, experiencing a Father's love through the power of the Holy Spirit. Bless us and keep us. Use us for your glory. And may we grow in that love that you've so freely given. For we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.